Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Excited to celebrate and worship with you this morning. Excited to read God's word and, and, and speak what I believe he has taught me through this passage. Um, if you've been around for the past few weeks, you know that we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we're almost finished with the Sermon on the Mount, not the whole Gospel of Matthew. Gotcha. Uh, we're almost finished with just the Sermon on the Mount. And it has taken us a few weeks because there are some deep and good and hard and challenging truths in this, and we want to take time and unpack each one. So today, we're specifically in chapter 7 of Matthew, so you can go ahead and turn there if you have a copy of God's Word. If you have it on your phone, open up the Bible app, go to Matthew chapter 7. I'll be reading out of the NLT, New Living Translation, if you want to have exact. If not, that's fine too. It'll be on the screen, and there's a copy in the back for you. You can have it. There's a French one, English one. Take it home. It is a gift for you. With that being said, Matthew chapter 7 will be in verses 1 through 14 specifically. Um, so let's read together. Starting in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? In verse 5, he continues, he says, hypocrite, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. Jesus now talks about prayer in verse 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts to those who ask him? The last few verses, 12, 13, 14, says, Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and Prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate, the highway to hell, which song there reference, or yours might say, the path to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose the way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a handful ever find it. Only a few ever find it. Excuse me. Let's pray really quick. God, we pray over this scripture, this word, your words, your very words um, that you spoke. God, we pray that you would teach them to us, that you would equip them to us, so we would have humble hearts ready to receive this truth, not ready to say, oh, I've heard it before, or push it off onto someone else that they need this word, but God, that I need this word this morning. I need your word this morning. I need your truth this morning to be refreshed by your word. Would you speak through it? God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So this first section, we read a lot. Trust me, we're not going to just ignore it and then talk about something else. We're going to unpack each verse. So that's how I like to do it when I do this is we're going to read all of it. And then we're probably going to go through it one verse at a time. If you're familiar, that's exegetical preaching. Don't try to add anything else because there are people who have written this that are way smarter than me. So we're going to take it a verse at a time and unpack it. Um, But these first six verses, I like to call them um, Judge Judy. I'm going to throw up a picture of Judge Judy because some people might not be familiar. Do do most people know who this is? Okay, most people do. If you don't know, she is like a reality TV judge. And I'll use that in quotations because um, she's an actor. Like all that they do on the show is not real. It's all like... They reach out to small claims court people, and they're like, hey, we could be an arbitrator for you, and you could settle outside of court. So really, she's literally doing nothing except being like a form of arbitrator, but they've already, they've already agreed the case before they go on the show. So it's all fake. She sits up there, acts like a judge, has her sassy moments, and you're like, yes, queen, do it. And uh, it's all fake. It's all fake. She's not really a judge. She has no judicial authority. Um, And if you remember what we just read or you're familiar, it kind of makes sense to name these first six verses in my mind. I was like, Judge Judy, that's what I think of. Um, But, you know, maybe you guys don't feel that way. Maybe you guys are really big Judge Judy fans. And I just broke your heart that she's not a real judge and you're just distraught. And you're like, my whole world is shaken. Um, It's okay. She might be real to you, but um, she's not a judge. So we're going to continue. And, and I want us to unpack the word judge that's used here because it's used a bunch of times and we, we kind of understand it. But I want us to have a nice definition for when we start unpacking why we shouldn't be one. Um, so a good definition is to come to a choice by making a judgment. It's hard to define it without using the word. So come to a choice by making a judgment, which is either a positive, a verdict in favor of, or negative, which rejects or condemns. So it's to decide, consider as preferring one thing over another or determining the correctness of a matter by extension, passing judgment, and to condemn as a legal status. So that's what we're thinking. We're thinking of someone who, you know, stands up there, bangs the hammer, and they say, guilty, take him away, but not Judge Judy because she's a fake judge. So think about these definitions as we unpack these verses. So let's take them a verse at a time, starting just in verse 1. Let's read it and take it as it is. Jesus looks to the crowd, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. That's pretty straightforward. Um, And I think it's easy for us to unpack this on the side. So as followers of Jesus, those in the room have put their faith in Jesus and follow him, thank God that we are judged by the standard and life of Jesus Christ. John 3.18 says there is no condemnation, no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So we stand on this side of the resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who has paid for our sins, took the place of our judgment. And that means our debt is paid. Our sins are forgiven. We are completely and totally free. So how can we read these verses and then judge other people? How can we know this truth that we are set free from Christ and then read this? He says, don't judge others. You will be judged. You haven't been judged. Why would you judge others? Judge others. And then we're like, hey, no, I'm going to judge them. Like, they shouldn't be doing that, though. Like, that's so bad. I'm so much better than them. A judge sentences condemnation. They say they are guilty They owe this. They send them to jail or set them free, and we have no place in that position. 
We remember that Jesus called for a righteousness in Matthew 5.20 that was greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. That was a few weeks ago he said that. And some people like to think a way to make oneself more righteous is to be more judgmental of others and to call out wrongs in other people. That that elevates them and makes them see more, seem more righteous. Jesus easily rebukes that kind of thinking here. In fact, Jesus says you will be judged in verse 2. He says you will be judged by the same standard that which you judge others. And in Matthew 6, 15, right before he gets into these words, he looks at the crowd and he says, If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And you're like, but wait, like you don't mean that, right? And he's like, you will be judged by the judgment you give to others. And you're like, but that's not true, right? It's like these are the words of the Lord. He says, do not judge. If you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. So a warning for us today in the early on is do not be a Judge Judy. That's one of my main points, and you're going to laugh at it, but it makes sense. Come on, I'm telling you, you're going to remember this. I'm going to say it a lot today. Don't be a Judge Judy. You are not in the position to judge people. You have no judicial authority to condemn or set anyone free. And the moment we start acting like one, we're a fake reality judge that has no power. And then on the other side of it, we're judged by the same standard we sit and cast judgment on others. If we are a judge Judy, then we will be judged in the same way. And that's a pretty scary thought. And Jesus goes on in verse 3, and he he starts to unpack this this illustration. He says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? Your, Your translation might say a piece of sawdust, a small piece of wood. Um, Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own or a big plank of wood sticking out of your eye? I have a nice picture that helped me understand it. Um, It's quite comical. Um, So this is our illustration for today. Think of this when you're reading these verses. This is the imagery that Jesus is literally giving us, and it's supposed to be ridiculous. So he's saying it's why would you do this? And, and often for myself, if you're like me, it is so, so easy when I have a log in my own eye, when I have sins that I'm just struggling with and I'm in just in deep sin, it's so easy for me to look at someone else and point out just a speck and say, man, they don't work as hard as me. Man, they just, man, they lie. They, they're, they're struggling with this over there. Does anyone see that? It's so easy when I have this giant log sticking out of my eye that I'm struggling with and I don't want to pull out and deal with to say, but look, look at them. I'm better than them. And Jesus is giving us this idea, this comical picture of a giant log sticking out of our eye, reaching over to our friend and saying, here, let me get this, this little tiny speck. And we're trying to get it out. And it's over the top and so funny. And, like, you'd definitely be hitting them in the face, like, with this log. Like, as you're trying to get it out, like, you're smacking them in the face. And they're like, please stop. Like, deal with your log. Deal with that plank of wood sticking out of your eye. And we can look at that and be like, it's so silly and over the top and outlandish. But it's a perfect description of how you and I are. It is so easy for me to judge other people than it is for me to examine and judge myself. It makes me feel better to call out the sins in others, to be a Judge Judy, and to tell them to fix themselves and clean up and get themselves together than it is to call it out in myself and address and fix those issues in me. And Jesus looks at us, he says, deal with your own sins first. 
deal with your own log in your eye before you ever try to correct the sins, the speck of those around you. In verse 4, he looks, he's like, how could you ever help someone when you need help so much more? Look at us in the room. Don't project your insecurities and sins on other people. Man, it is so easy for me to do that. When I'm really struggling with one sin, it's so easy for me to project it on other people and say, man, they just really can't handle that. Deal with your own log, the giant plank in your own eye, before you try and pull out the speck in anyone else's. Otherwise, you're just going to be hitting them in the face with that log of wood sticking out your eye, and they're going to be saying, you got a log in your eye. Deal with your sins. And Jesus even looks at the people. He says, if you do that, if you try to get the speck out when there's a log in yours, he calls you a hypocrite. And that's a heavy word. He says, you make this claim that you are so righteous and religious, yet you act the opposite. And I don't know about you. I don't want to stand before Jesus and him look at me and call me a liar. So verse 5, he looks and he says, hypocrite, don't be that. Get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck and your friends. So first, deal with your sins. He's like, I'm not saying don't help them. He's saying you need to deal with yours first, get the log out of your eye, pull the, the giant piece of wood sticking out. He said, it says seek repentance, turn from them. And we can understand this, the seeking of the Lord by looking at other scripture. We'll look at 1 John 1, 8 through 9. It says if we claim we have no sin, if we claim we have no logs on our eye, we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And James 5, 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Proverbs 28, 13, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So church, I ask us, Deal with the logs in our eye. You cannot act like you don't have one. If we act like we don't have sins, we're only lying to ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. So we come and we confess and repent before Jesus. We confess our sins. We lay them before him. And then Jesus says, then, once you've pulled this log out and confessed and repented, you might see well enough to help your brother or sister in need. And I want us to know that this is not done out of judgment. This helping, like once we pull the log out and then deal with the speck, it is not a form of judgment. It is done out of love and the peace that Jesus has brought you from your own confession and repentance. Helping take the speck out of their eye, this act of helping them remove and get rid of these sins It's not just telling them, hey, you have a speck in your eye. Deal with it before you come back. Get help. Do it on your own. But no, it's coming alongside them and helping them remove it because you see how much it's hurting them. You know how much your own personal log, your own personal sins weighed you down and destroyed you. And you know the relief and refreshment that the Lord brought you when you release those to him and confess those. So you come alongside each other and say, hey, man, I want you to be able to see. I know this speck hurts. 
I'm not pointing you and saying, bad, bad, bad. You did this. You did this. Everyone, look, don't come back till you fix it. Man, we're not casting any judgments. I come in love and I say, man, let me help you because I had, man, let me tell you, I had this log in my eye and it hurt so bad. And I brought him to the Lord. So let me, like, let's go to the Lord and, and I promise you, you'll see better. You want them to see Jesus. And it's the same with sin. We deal with our own sins, our confessions and repentance. And then we help get rid of those specks around us because of love. And it must be done out of love and mercy that we have received from Jesus. So, like, it's not done out of the kindness of our own hearts or the the great love that we have for each other from ourselves. Like, it is done from the kindness and mercy that Christ has shown us. Not telling them that they're sinful and wrong and that they need to stop and to do it on their own. But we come alongside and lovingly help. We want them to bring it before the Lord and see him. We want healing for our brothers and sisters to help them get rid of the specks so they can see Jesus more clearly. So that they can be rid of the pain that lingering and hidden sin causes. And this is not judgment. We are not being judged duties. This is pointing people clearly to Jesus and what his word says. My opinions and my personal convictions do not matter. But I'm simply pointing people to Christ. And then Jesus tells us not to do this so carelessly. In verse 6, he tells us to do it with wisdom and discernment. As he says, this kind of confusing verse that is often misinterpreted. Um, In verse 6, he says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and turn and attack you. So we get this idea of pigs in that culture as being extremely unclean animals. Um, We know that, and and pigs are still pretty unclean and nasty and dirty today. But not only were they unclean, wild pigs were apparently pretty vicious and capable of, like, pretty savage and, like, attacking things at people. Um, I've never been pig hunting. Has anyone been pig hunting before? Um, No, no one. But apparently, hey, it's apparently pretty scary. So to have that opinion of pigs are dirty and they're also kind of vicious, Um, And then dogs here, we're not thinking of like a household pet, like my beautiful dog Bilbo, if anyone has seen him, he is the best dog in the world. Um, I'm a little biased, but we're not thinking of this well-groomed and taking care of dog eating organic food. Um, we're, We're thinking in the times where these dogs roamed the wild in the streets and they ate trash, they ate dead things, they were unclean, and they were vicious. So verse 6 we can look at, and I want us to know. Before anyone starts getting ideas, verse 6 is not a directive against evangelizing to the Gentiles or the unclean. Especially in a book full of various supports of Jesus saying that this message is for all people. A theologian said this, it says, This verse is describing a person of any race who has given clear evidence of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and hardened contempt. So when we take it together with verses 1 through 5, verse 6 becomes something of a gospel analog of the proverb, Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. We can also understand that the dogs and swine here are often understood as those who are hostile to the kingdom of God, and the message that announces it. Our love for others must not blind us of their hardened rejection for the good news of the kingdom. Yet we may also see this in the context of the previous words against hypocrites, where he's like, don't judge when you have this log in your eye. We can look at it with that context. 
Um, it may be that Jesus' mind, the dogs and the swine here, represent hypocr- hypocritical Judge Judy believers. That these sinning hypocrites should not be offered the pearls that belong to the community of the saints. But whatever, whatever you, whichever those three you're like, oh, I identify strongly with this, or this, or this, we can understand that from these words that Jesus is looking at us and he is not discouraging sharing the gospel. Previously in this very sermon, Matthew 5, Jesus told us to let our lights shine before the world. The whole world, not just the Jewish world. To the, what they would call, unclean world. All of the world. But Jesus is to call us to discernment. um, And to encourage us to look for prepared hearts that are ready to receive his truth. That are ready for correction and wisdom and assistance in taking specks out of their eyes. Not just people who are aggressive or volatile. Or as we use wisdom and discernment from the spirit, we understand that they're going to attack us and, and not be ready for correction. So when we find such open hearts, we can trust that God has already been working on them. So Jesus is like, this is, this is what we are to do. Do so with discernment because there's some scary, dirty pigs out there who will attack you. Um, but I'm working in hearts, and as I give you discernment and wisdom, I'll lead you in that. And you're going to look at me and say, well, how will I know that? That is not for me to tell you. That is the beauty and power of the Spirit of the Lord is that he leads us as we walk closer with him. As we cast our sins off as we repent and confess to him and follow in his spirit, he leads and directs and guides our paths. So I don't have the answer for you, like, how do I know who's ready, who's not? That's the spirit of the Lord working in you. And we can talk about it and pray over the people, and you can share, and we'll help try to make a decision with you, but we really want that to be the spirit. Well, we understand the gospel is for all people. It's not for those who are clean, because none of us are clean. The gospel is for everyone. He gives us wisdom and discernment and correction. But we know know from verse 1 that we are not to be a judge, Judy. Do not be a judge, Judy. We deal with our own sin before we ever try to help others. And we do so out of love and with discernment, like we just read. And then we do all of this with verse 12 in mind. And you've probably heard this before. Um, I grew up hearing it in elementary school. But I don't know if they were referencing the scripture. I come from like a really small town, so they might have. But let's read it. Verse 12. It says, "Do, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that was taught in the law and prophets. Does anyone know what that little piece is called? The golden rule. Yes. You guys grew up with that, right? Like people would say, the golden rule. Do to others, no one. Man, Canada's lawless, just full of people just, just attacking each other. Um, no, that's not true. People are actually very polite. Um, so I really do think you guys heard it. You're just not wanting to respond. So let's pretend you guys, oh, I'm familiar with the golden rule. Um, it was said before this, like this is not a new concept. When Jesus said it here, this kind of idea of doing to others is not a new concept. Um, there was a guy many years before this who said, um, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law, and the rest is commentary. Go learn it. So this, is, this theme is familiar with people here. But only Jesus phrases this rule in a positive way. He says, do to others. Not don't do to them what you don't like. He said, do to others what you would want them to do to you. 
And that's so much more powerful. In, do, in doing so, Jesus makes the command so much broader. It's the difference between not breaking a traffic law and doing something positive like hand, helping a stranded motorist, someone who fell off their bike. Under the negative form of the rule, the goats in Matthew 25 are found not guilty. But under the positive form of the golden rule, the Jesus form, they are found guilty because they didn't do to others what they would want done to them. This especially applies to Christian fellowship. If we would experience love and have people reach out to us, we must love and reach out to others. Man, that golden rule, so easy to say. Do to others whatever you want done to you. I say that so easily. But do I really live that? Do I really want people to judge me? Do I want people to gossip about me behind my back? Do I, do I want people to be rude and short with me when, I've had a, when they've had a bad day? Do I want people to ignore me on the street and not look me in the eye when I ask for something? Do I want people to never invite me into their home and share a meal or relieve my burdens? Do I want people to not be generous and kind to me? Do I want to be treated like how I treat other people? Man, I really started dealing with that this week as I say those words so easily and I think, do to others. Jesus said, do to others. What if people started doing to me what I did to them? Man, I would not be living a golden life. It would be a struggle. So, man, take the, like, deal with that truth this week. Unpack that and say, how do I do to others? What am I doing to other people? And would I want that right back at me? It's like that classic, remember the bracelets, the WWJD? Like, what would Jesus do that, like, ran the early 2000s? Like, let's bring those back in a positive way. Like, not in a trendy fashion way, but, like, let's, like, think those thoughts as we go through our lives. Like, would Jesus do this? Like, what would I want people to do to me? I would want people to be as Jesus to me, so I should then be as Jesus to other people. And I want us to understand that we say the golden rule doesn't mean you'll have this golden life. Um, just because you've done good to others um, does not mean they're going to do good back to you. You're probably very familiar with this. Um, and I shouldn't expect them to. That's the thing. Like Jesus doesn't say do good to others um, because they'll do good to you and you can expect it because we're just spreading peace and positivity. And, you know, this idea of karma, what goes around comes around. Jesus actually in many parts in scripture says you will do good and you will face persecution. You will do better than people give to you and you will receive worse. So we can expect that. And we don't do the golden rule. We don't do to others what we would want done to us because we expect anything. But we do it because this is how Christ loved us. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I promise you, it won't be golden. Your life isn't going to be easier or better because you start doing good things to people and then life's going to start rewarding you with a good job and because you've really been living it. Um, oftentimes when we start actually abiding in Jesus and living the golden rule, life gets a lot harder. We face more persecution. We're faced with harder decisions of am I going to be Jesus in this moment or pursue self. But I love because while I was still a sinner, 
while I was still doing bad to Christ and sinning and building up my record of debt and wrongs against the Lord, it said Christ died for me. So I have nothing, nothing that I can hold on to or hold over the head of anyone because I have done so wrong to Christ. And he said, I still came for you. So this is where my love flows out of. This is where my doing good to others flows out of. Because while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. So it won't be a golden golden life, I promise you. In fact, he follows it, his words here in verses 13 and 14, with this, this text you've maybe heard. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The pathway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. Your translation might say, and is full of persecution, and only a few ever find it. So he's looking at the people saying, there's only one way to enter the kingdom, and it's very narrow. So, but this other path that so many other people are on, the one of living maybe, if I do good, things come back around, or if I don't do bad, then I'm okay. This road to hell, this road to destruction is broad and wide for the many who choose that way. And he looks and he says, but the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult. It does not get easier. Only a few find it and the only way is through Jesus. Because in John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this narrow road with persecution, he tells us to walk. We are not to judge others because he has taken our judgment away. We are to bring our sins and confession and repentance to God before we ever try to correct those around us. And we are to do to others what they would want them to do to us, what we would want them to do to us. You might be looking at that and you're like, that is a lot of things to do. Um, how, am I, how do I do this? This is, over, this is so hard. I... I'm terrible at this. Um, trust me, I'm terrible at it too. But the beauty is we get to be terrible at it together. Um, and we get to help each other through it. And you're like, I keep messing up. What am I supposed to do? What's the answer? How do I fix it? So let's jump back a few verses because in the midst of this, Jesus is giving us what helps us through it. Because, you know, you can read these things and you're like, oh, man, I am a Judge Judy. And then you keep going. You're like, oh, man, I'm not doing good to others. And he said, but in the middle, look at this. This is the truth. This is what equips and empowers you. In verse 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Seek Jesus, church. Ask for his love and mercy and grace. We so often read that as like, seek him for material things. Seek him for this moment right here and he's like like the main like let's seek just him his love and mercy and grace to know him more because we can never do any of this i can never i can't stop being a judge duty if i'm not coming and receiving love from christ so come to jesus church seek forgiveness through him only ask that he would equip you with this work Confess and repent your sins before him. And I love this. It was really awesome as I was preparing for this message this week. Every morning I read My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. If you're familiar with it, 
It's a really great just kind of morning devotional that's like short. It helps you start your routine. But man, is it deep and rich and makes you stop and think. And it was awesome as I'm reading the scripture. This was the one for yesterday. And it's on the scripture. And Oswald Chambers says this. He says, draw near to God. It's going to be on the screen. It says, draw near to God. Knock. The door is closed and your heartbeat races as you knock. Cleanse your hands. Knock a bit louder. You begin to find that you are dirty. Purify your hearts. It is becoming even more personal. You are desperate and serious now. You will do anything. It says lament. Have you ever lamented expressing your sorrow before God for the condition of your inner life? There is no thread of self-pity left. Only the heart-rending difficulty and amazement which comes from seeing what kind of person you really are. Humble yourselves. It is a humbling experience to knock at God's door. You have to knock where the crucified thief knocked. And he says to him who knocks, it will be opened. Man, I read that this week and like I had to keep rereading it. So I'm going to leave it on the screen here and I want you to keep looking at it. Write those verses down. They're not just there for like nonsense. Like those are the verses that he's referencing of cleansing our hearts, washing our hands, purifying ourselves, coming before the Lord. And as we find, as, as I found like reading this, as we come before the Lord and we seek him, we knock at the door, we seek him, and we're doing this, we're knocking in humility. We look down, we see, I can't knock at his door, I'm, I'm dirty, I'm, full, I'm unclean right now. And I come before him, I'm like, God, I'm knocking, clean my heart, purify my heart. I, I lay my sins down to you, I knock, I seek you, please, Lord. As we keep knocking and, and asking and seeking for more of him, he says, whoever knocks, the door will be opened. And this is how we can expect our Father to respond as we knock and seek and come to him. Right in, in verses 9 and 10, right after that, he looks, he says, you parents in the room. If you're a parent, this is helpful. If you're not a parent, it makes sense too. Come on, just bear with us. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So look at that metaphor. So like if Judah came up to me, if he, he ran out from the back and he's like just miraculously started talking full words. And he said, Dad, I'm hungry. Give me some bread. Give me some more of that sweet bread in the back. I would be like, of course. Like maybe not so sweet, but maybe here's a loaf of bread. I would never give him a rock and say, go chew on that. That's fine. Like, I want to take care of my son. I gave Judah his first donut this week. Um, you know, that was fun. So, like, as a parent, you know, you're, you're told, like, basically, if you don't do this, you're doing everything wrong. And, like, online just kind of tells you how, like, you're messing everything up. So we decided for the first year, first year of his life, like, no, like, added sugars and things like that. Because, like, maybe, like, a Joe Luis isn't great for a baby, um, even though they're so delicious and yummy. Um, so no processed things like that, no sugars. And then on his birthday, we're like, you know what? You can have a donut. Something about like after a year, they can handle it. I don't know. You're guilted into a lot of things as a parent, and you're really nervous. So anyway, we gave him first donut. And it's a good donut, too. Like it's from Leche. Great donut place here. And we only gave him half of it, but it was a Boston cream one, and he picked it out. And I'm telling you, the noises this boy made, like he... He liked that donut, let me tell you. 
Um, and in that moment, I'm like, you have never been more like me than right now. Eating this donut, and she's just going, mm, and he's smacking it. Ooh, just grabbing that donut and just, ah. And it was his birthday, and it was a sweet moment. And he loves it. He maybe loves donuts more than me, but we'll see one day. We'll share that love together. But when I give Judah a stone, the, my son I love deeply, would I give him a stone instead of a donut? No, of course not. I would give him anything he needs, especially when he smiles and reaches up at me. Man, that dude could have a dozen donuts, no matter what he's done. He could have been sneaky and defiant all day. He does this thing where he looks at something he knows he's not supposed to touch, and he goes, and then he touches it. And I'm like, oh, you knew. He could do that all day. And he could come to me and ask for something he needed, and I would give it to him immediately. Because I love him, and I want to make sure his needs are met. Not that I'm giving him donuts all the time. I'd say, no, no, not a donut. Here's like multi-grain, whatever, something for babies, and I'll eat the donut. Um, no, like we, I want what's best for him. I want him to be healthy. I want him to have life and sustenance. I will always take care of him. Not his wants, maybe not always a donut, but I will always take care of his needs no matter what. And Jesus looks and he says, in the same way, how much will your heavenly Father give to those who ask him? Take that, take that imagery of Judah coming to me, being whatever he's been all day, and smiling and reaching up and asking for something. In the same way as we come to our Father and we ask for help, how much more, how much greater are the gifts he gives to his children than those of us who are sinful give to our children? Ask him for help. Man, we can't do this on our own. Stop trying to do it. Stop trying to say, okay, well, I'm going to go home now, and I'm going to pull this log out of my eye, and I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to be a Judge Judy this week, and I'm going to do good, and I'm just really going to work hard for it. Man, come to Jesus first. Before you do any of that, sit before the feet of Jesus and say, God, I need help. <sighs> Reach up at him like a little, little child reaching up and saying, Pick me up, please. How much more gracious and generous is our Heavenly Father than us parents who are sinful? And the greatest gift that He ever gives and will continue to give, and the one He's most likely referring to here, is the gift of the Spirit. He says that in Luke eleven thirteen. So we come to Him, we ask for more of Him to receive the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We ask and we seek and we knock because we cannot do it on our own, church. And you don't have to. I'm not here to bring this message and, and lay it on top of you and let it weigh you down and bury you and you say, I've just got to do so much better. That is not the truth in the gospel. The truth in the gospel is you are not called to do it alone ever. That Christ tells you to come to him and he will give you as you ask. And you have a family that you can do this with. A church family that will help you. So as we begin to 
end and unpack these truths and rest on them and think about them, man, don't be a Judge Judy. I'll say it again. For your sake, don't be a Judge Judy. Take yourself off that seat of judgment unless you want to be judged. And that is a warning that he gives us. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be judged covered in the blood of Jesus, having my sins forgiven and none of them held against me. But if you were sitting on the judgment throne, casting condemnation down on others, thinking you are the righteous judge, you will be judged. That is a scary thought. And I know I can never pass that judgment. I can never be good enough to to pass through that judgment or have done good enough to pass through it. I will always come short. So praise God. Thank Jesus that he has made a way. That he has cast my sins, he says, as far as the east is from the west. He has taken your judgment and cast it because Jesus has covered it. And he has forgiven and forgotten my sins. Now I want us to pause and say this does not mean that we fully allow or accept any lifestyle or any sins. We do not allow them to continue in our lives. We do not say that you can do whatever you want and live any life. You're free and you can follow Jesus and it will be great. The next half, the closing of chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, that Graham gets the honor of the challenging sermon, actually is about the standard of life and the fruit bearing that Jesus calls Christians to. So we are not saying, you can do whatever you want. We affirm anything. You can be anything. No, no, no. On the contrary, Jesus calls us to a high standard. But he looks at us and he says, but you are not the judge. You do not condemn people. We point people to Christ and his word and what his word says. We live this standard. Help me live this standard. I'll help you live this standard. We'll confess and repent our sins, but I give no condemnation. I do not pass the judgment. I seek Jesus, confess, repent my sins daily. I do not act like I don't have a log in my eye. And then I point other people to him. So I beg you, church, I beg you, step down from the judgment seat. For you will be judged by the standard that you judge others. Let go of that role. Man, we want justice. We want, we want the right to be wronged. I want that so bad. Let go of it. It is not yours. Confess your sins that you're hiding. It's so easy to walk out of this and be like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good, actually. And I'm pretty nice to people. And, you know, I don't really judge people that much. This is just as much for you to say, I've got these sins that I'm hiding, and they're just eating me alive. Confess your sins. Because often when we, we live in an unconfessed sin life, we're so easily to judge anyone around us. So please, 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 church, Step down from the judge duty, judgment throne. It's not a real one. You don't have the right because Christ took your judgment. Don't think that we can pass it, pass judgment on others. And I encourage you to receive his grace and mercy today. It is free for you. He offers it to you. He says, come and knock, come and seek, come and find. He will answer and you will receive. So I encourage you, church, seek Jesus 
today. And you will find them. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.